This week's episode is brought to you by the Edmonton Oilers. Who are you going to call? Slump this Busters. This has got to be one of the gutsiest clubs in the National Hockey League. It's a breakaway. McKinnon. Pure guts. Oh! They got nothing but guts. Brandon right here with a terrific backhand pass, and look at the patient, my goodness. Guts all over the place, I can't believe it. And after 22 years, Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, I'm Steph, and you're locked into Burgundy Radio for November 13th, 2018. Coming at you on a Monday night, maybe a Tuesday morning, maybe some other time of day entirely, if you're part of our lovely international crowd. Coming up on the show, the last Avs game went really well, but I suspect that this podcast has a lot of beef with Avalanche hockey, as well as other things right now. Joining us on the show, again, is none other than Earl06. Hey, Earl. Hola, amigos. And joining us again is Jackie. How are you? Great. Bonjour. And joining us again is Rudo. What's up? Hey, hey. Oh, hang on. Hang on. Cool. Just cut me off and we're good. Oh, it, it looks <laughs> like they're going to review the start of the show. We just got to check the replay real quick. Hang on. That's, uh, that's right on the line. That's really close. Thank you for the sound effects there. I think this is too close to call, but here comes the ruling. 2018, of course, the NHL still can't find a working mic. And nope, nope, none of that intro counted. Offside. Bummer. One coach is happy, the other one is mad. Nope, looks like we're going to go intro-less then. We'll do it live. Abs fall <laughs> 4-2, definitely not 3, against the Nashville Predators on Wednesday. A game they didn't particularly play well in anyway, but had two goals called back on offside reviews. Matt Calvert gets the only good hockey goal in this one for Colorado. And it was reviewed for a high stick too, because, you know, why not? Reviews all around. It's been a few days since this happened, but I gotta ask if you want to go ahead and tackle this circus because it was so frustrating to have goals called back on a difference of maybe one or two frames in the video on well technically calls that I, I didn't even watch the back half of the third. I was done. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, playing bad and then having that as an insult added to it, it just you know didn't need it. I still think the first one was an offside because you look at the blue line, it's not just a completely perfect uniform blue strip. Right. It goes in and out like blue and white. So just to say that you can see a little bit of white doesn't definitively mean it's over the line. I think we that should talk one about was... parallax here too. <laughs> way too close <laughs> to overturn. I still feel that way. Hashtag it was in 2018. <laughs> Parallax, by the way, in case you're wondering, that's what happens when you have more than one lack. It's true. Avs have about five lacks right now, so. <laughs> well, on that play, they only had two of them, hence the pair. The haha. Yes, you found the you found the bad joke now. Um, the the first one was just it was it was just so close. It was preposterous how close that was. I, you know, I'm willing to give the War Room the benefit of the doubt on that one. On TV, we don't get all the angles they do. And for it to be a goal on the ice and then them have to call it back like that, I, I assume that they have an angle where it's pretty clearly out. Here's a suggestion, just... then. Give us that angle at some point. <laughs> it sure would be nice. I don't care if it's on the broadcast. 
I don't I don't care if it's on your big PR announcement explaining the goal review at blank blank de blank minute of the blank period that you always put out on your website. Give us give us the angle somewhere that shows you why you made that call. Draw an arrow on it. It's not that hard. Yeah. And we've um, talked before about having offside affect the play or not. It yeah. should either be some sort of time limit or I mean, that one I think directly affected the play. The other one not as much, but Yeah, the other one Yeah. We we talk about it have I'll, I say we I talk a lot about it having a statute of limitations on offside reviews such as if it goes more than 4 maybe 5 seconds, it can't possibly have had enough of an effect that you need to re- need to call it back. But we're talking 15 seconds on that second goal. Because Alex Kerfoot's foot was above the line instead of on the line. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we really have to hash it out. I know we kind of did that the other week, but it was basically that, the same thing. <laughs> yeah, Kerfoot yeah. basically didn't even touch the puck anyway. So it's just disappointing with how hard it is to score score goals in the NHL on these great goalies, and then a team works hard, scores a goal, and then it doesn't count. That's the disappointing part. Even if they probably would have lost anyway, or they probably deserve to lose anyway, it just still sucks that those guys that earned those goals didn't right. get credit for it, them. The letdown is just so killer. Like, a perfect world, you, you get it right immediately, and the play's dead, and you never have the chance to score the goal, and that's fine. But when it, they have to bring it all back and undo it all, that sucks. But we're also not asking for them to blow the whistle early, too, because that happens, and then you're like, well, if it's questionable, let it go, because then if you guess wrong, then you're completely killing a scoring chance. Was anyone at the game? No. Of course you weren't. It was an 8 o'clock local start on a weeknight. Um, <laughs> but according to, to AJ, they didn't even show the angle like in the rink that we saw on TV that showed, oh, this may, this may come back. But the story of that game was definitely more than, you know, bad officiating or bad reviews. It, the Avalanche definitely, you know, struggled. But it's it's just so hard to handle when situations like that become the story of the game. And you're dealing with officials who are obviously not accountable publicly to anybody. And you're just kind of hoping for the best out there. But um, I'm, I'm ready to move on from this god-awful subject if y'all are. That sounds good. Yep. What day was that game? Friday? Yeah. Then on Friday, uh, Varley gives up four goals on 23 shots, and the Avs lose 5-2 in Winnipeg to the Jets. Thanks to a mighty terrible first period and a mighty terrible penalty kill. Your scorers here were Eric Johnson, and that was a sick goal, by the way, and Tyson Jost, who returned from injury in this one, and again, really good goal. But the Avs decided it would only be sporting to let the Jets score immediately after they did both times. So they never really had the chance to mount the comeback in this one. Of course, a save might have helped, and so might some clogging the center on the penalty kill. Yeah, I think special... Go ahead. Special teams killed this game. Um, Those two goals that were scored in under eight seconds on the power play, I mean, yeah. or Sorry, on the penalty kill, but Winnipeg's power play is very good, of course. Uh, It's... You know, you've just got to do more than that. You've you've got to make it more difficult. You can't just give up a goal again in under eight seconds twice. Um, Yeah, you just the first one 
like obviously not good, but that second power play goal, Drys just can't take that penalty. You just can't have that. And that's right. the one where nobody was covering line A, and and I know they were trying to not let the pass through, but it's just those are kind of the no brainers. Like, well, the- I mean, you got to cover the area more than covering the guy, but yeah, I mean, that, that was just a great pass though. Like he saw yeah. it over two sticks, and line A had a whole net to shoot at, and with his shot, it's going in. Like you just can't put yourself in that situation, claw back into the game, and then give him a power play. I just feel like with the obvious ones, like Ovechkin, Line A, like you have to cover those guys. Yeah, I mean that you you can do an isolation like that. I I know it's tough for a coach to sort of plan for that, just because it's not you know it's like you want to do a five on four with sort of your 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 box or whatever you do, and to make it you know, sort of isolate a man-on-man situation and then make it four-on-three on the other side. Um, it's, it's pretty specialized. And I, you know, it, it might end up working out just as bad. But, you know, the I trick agree. is don't let that pass through. Yeah. <laughs> or don't be in the box in the first place. I, I agree yeah. with that, too. I, I think the bigger issue is honestly with the Evs power play in this game. They yeah, right before that, yeah, <laughs> you know, they had a great A power play chance to tie the game up. But that, I mean, I'll save my McKinnon talks for later once we get to stars and scratches. I'm sure, but it wasn't good. <laughs> no, I think this game yeah, is a pretty good, pretty good jumping point for that conversation because Nathan McKinnon was real, real bad out there for the first time in a very long time, like noticeably real, real bad. And uh, that was a massive story in this game. It's a big part of what happened. Yeah, yeah that, that turnover that led to the Winnipeg's third goal was just just inexcusable. No, Nobody else could get away with, with just the lack of care, laziness, lack of awareness. I don't know. And I don't know about the whole he was tired because they're playing him way too much. That's just... No, it's just you, not being in the game. Yeah, through yeah. this whole game, you could tell it was mental with him. There were a handful of times, especially trying to gain the offensive zone at the blue line, someone would throw a pass that he couldn't get to, and you could see like someone else would chase it, and the Avs would end up getting the puck, while McKinnon kind of like just rolls his eyes at the blue line, and his whole body just does like a big shrug, and like he's super frustrated. And it was just, you can't have that. I mean... I talked about it a little bit on my video where your best players don't always have to be your best players with like the cliche, but they definitely can't be your worst players. Yeah. And I mean, that was such a crucial situation because, you know, Johnson scores, it's two one. Um, and you know, you're, you're not out of it at that point. The Avs have played, I mean, you know, Winnipeg was sort of dominating, but you know, it, it was, it was a lot closer at that point than it was right after he, he let the puck go like that. And it's just, They're it starting was a really to a little bad bit, time to make that error. A little bit of momentum too. Yeah. But. And obviously they scored right after it again. So you're just like, okay, you know, that doesn't happen. I mean, I know you can't really think like this, but it's like, you know, if it's two, two, I mean, you're in it's that a new game. game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like everything that happens after that's probably going to be a, a, a wildly different situation just because, I mean, Winnipeg is used to scoring early and then sitting on the lead. That's basically what they did. They scored twice in the first, and it's, you know nothing happened in the second, really. I mean, 
the abs kind of booted that double minor situation they had four minute power play basically and you know then then the abs come out in the third and, and johnson scores right away and you're like okay you know we were feeling pretty good and then you know it's just got to be deflating for everybody on the team it's never yeah it's never good to be in a position where like all right we're we're back in this in this we just need one more shot and it's a brand new hockey game and nope not anymore just just kidding and then you get yourself back in that yeah. position again and with within a couple of minutes you take a penalty and just go right back to a two goal deficit it, that's the kind of yeah. game that's just a downer man it it's it frustrating was. too because of the positives that come from it as an abs fan you're thinking hey we finally got a goal from Eric Johnson. Hey, Tyson Jost looks way better now that he's back. But you just totally squander it. Right, yeah. for all the, the talk about secondary scoring, it is pretty funny. The goal scorers up to that point were Calvert, the two that didn't count from Wilson and Cole. Then you have EJ and Jost scoring goals. That's that's what you want. That's that's about as much as you can ask for from secondary scoring, really. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, they were pretty close. I, I, you know, if, if you stop one of those power, you know, if one of the penalty kill goals doesn't go in and they didn't mess around idiotically on that four-minute power play in the second period, I mean, they, they could have won that game easily. That's that's what was really frustrating. Is I mean, maybe that's what, you know, Mac was feeling. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure he had a long talk with Bednar or whoever about that because he, you know, he didn't seem like that at all in the final game of our series this week. Um, Is that so, the game where they kept switching Barry and Gerard on yeah, the power play? They one? did a lot of crazy things. With yeah, the power they started play out with Barry one. on the power play one unit, and he was just awful. And then. Winnipeg was getting chances right off the bat, and then the next time, you know, they started Sam. And just... They switched Calvert and Wilson at one point too, yep. and they did a bunch That's of weird stuff. Started. And then they put yeah. McKinnon on the second unit, which I didn't mind actually. Putting McKinnon on the second unit. Yeah, he stayed out. I think I don't mind that in selected kind of situations to do that. I don't think they should do that all the time, but I think. It could be a nice surprise, but probably not in conjunction with overplaying him in his worst game. It's, it's probably right. not the perfect yeah. time to do it, but I think I think every once in a while, just to kind of give it a different look and surprise the other team, I like the idea. I also like the willingness to use Gerard if Barry wasn't having a great night, but I, th I think they really need to seriously think about sticking with Gerard for a while. Give it a chance to, to grow and to work, but I, I still don't think that Nathan McKinnon, like, is... I, I think you can probably have a, a better line for your first power play unit if you switch out both Barry and McKinnon for Gerard and somebody who's less of a transition player and more of a possession, get-a-deep-cycle player than McKinnon is. But I, see, I'm kind of opposite on this. I, I you know... Bednar has said that he he likes Sam on the second unit as long as well as basically the the whole Kerfoot Jost Wilson line. I'm um, with Earl yeah. there when they actually use the second unit. Yeah, that's a big problem. And they too. did. Yeah. And and they did in the next game and it worked out kind of nice. Yeah, I know. Um, Imagine that. Well, that game it was still like 20 seconds. <laughs> yeah, it was still like the last 30 seconds. Like yeah, I I totally agree if if they make the second unit the first unit, that's fine, but 
when it gets down to it, you're in the middle of a game. You need a goal. You're not going to leave your best players on the bench. You're not going to try to put the game in the hands of McKinnon and Rantanen. And then, like what Bender says, he likes keeping the forward lines together. So it's probably the easiest thing for him is to switch out the defensemen. And then tinker with that fourth forward, whether it's Matt Calvert or Colin Wilson. I mean, or Tyson Jones. Uh, no, Matt Calvert. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I get McKinnon's your star. Yeah. I just don't. How can you watch two thirds of that game and think that McKinnon's going to be able to do anything in that game? There was just. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with I you know. there. I mean, he, I, he's the guy. We get it. But you also got to know when your guys don't have it. I know, and it's like benching him would have made it worse at that point because it's just going to create a controversy off the ice that we didn't need. But you know, they could have put him on. There are ways to bench someone that aren't really benching him that they could have probably done a little bit more of. For sure, they could have put him on a different line. And I know getting into dangerous territory to ask for the blender, but I think in some of these games, it could have used a little bit of a shakeup. I think. Don't disagree with that at all, especially when things are as just like rough and stagnant as that game was at, at times. Um, but things did finally turn up on Sunday as the Avs win 4 1 over the Edmonton Oilers, who looked really bad in this game, by the way. Uh, Miko Randon sure <laughs> opened scoring on the first shift. Carl Soderberg with a goal and an assist, and just a beastly night. Tyson Berry gets his first of the season after a pass from Nathan McKinnon that was only bested by the very next pass from Miko. And, oh yeah, Alexander Kerfoot got one on the power play, like we were just kind of alluding to. Then we hit garbage time, and the shot attempts got out of control, but that you're going to have that. And the final actual on-goal shot count was only 28-27 in the Avs' favor. So, thoughts on this game, or as I like to call it, the chasing of Cam Talbot? Yeah, it was it was a fun game. I mean... Right from the get-go, yeah, you get your top line a goal 30 seconds in, and you kind of take a half breath, then you pick up a couple more, and you're pretty comfortable for the most of the game. Yeah, you know, McDavid's sitting there in the back of your head, but compared to the last four games, this was the easiest the Avs have had it. Yeah, I gotta say, after they got that early goal, and then Calvert took that what-on-earth-are-you-doing penalty behind the behind Talbot's net, like a couple minutes later, I was just like, oh no, here we go. But then they killed the penalty pretty easily, and it was like, oh, okay, this team's got nothing. We're fine. And you could definitely tell that, I think since, I think all the way, other than the Ottawa game, all the opponents that they've played have been in the top three position in their division. Like even yeah. Vancouver and... Calgary and maybe some of the other teams you wouldn't necessarily expect. And it's not really an excuse for how poor the Avs have looked at certain points, but it has been a pretty tough stretch in their schedule against teams playing really well. And yeah, when they, it, you could tell early on against Edmonton, it was just such a relief to see the Avs playing well again. And then, of course, to have an opponent that wasn't forechecking the death out of them and wasn't you know, on the on the level of the division leaders. I'm going to take a little different tack on this one. I, I didn't like the second half of the game at all. Um, Edmonton did start to forecheck, and it was basically because they were selling out. And, it, you know, if, if they had been doing that in the early part of the game, they, they probably would have gotten burned pretty bad on some, uh, some rush chances. 
but it just showed that it was effective what they were doing. And that's yeah. sort of been the bugaboo for the entire losing streak was, you know, forecheck the abs and, and you're basically going to keep it in their zone the whole time. And that's certainly uh, something they're going to need to figure out because other teams watch tape and they're going to figure this out. But I, I didn't feel like it was so bad in the second half. There were certain shifts that were pretty scary, but they had the control. I think, I think Mosier or someone said on the broadcast that like, the Oilers just didn't, they weren't organized. They weren't really accomplishing anything. And Well, and, I mean, one thing they were accomplishing was keeping the puck in, in the Avs zone and, and preventing the Avs from sort of extending the lead or, you know, at least getting some zone time. It was 4 nothing. Yeah, I mean, that's a 10-minute stretch with massive score effects going on there. I know. There were some it, shifts that were really bad, but there, yeah. there was also a whole lot of nothing. You know, like I, I wrote today that like Patrick Nemeth had three shifts in the third period that were over a minute, and six out of his seven shifts were over fifty seconds, and that just shows that like you know, yeah, he's the lefty, and you know, the the bench is on the right side, so it's tough to get off. But um, you know, it's like you you, you just in that situation where you're trying to shut the other team down and, and just close out a victory you've got to keep your shifts to 40 seconds or, or less if you can manage it. And they, you know, a lot of guys had some really long shifts in the third. And I just, you know, that, that's troubling. This is the part of the stream where you put up Pikachu shocked face for Nemeth being bad. Yeah. yeah. In, in, a, in a game where the whole team looked really good, Patrick Nemeth stood out in the wrong direction. Yeah. He but, has I mean, been... it, it wasn't just him taking long shifts. Like the... No, it wasn't. Yeah, like the, the the goal that Edmonton actually managed to score, like Sam Gerrard had been on the ice for a minute and 43 seconds before that, and it's just like, you can't do that. I mean, you can. <laughs> you can. Well, they, they didn't get it out of the zone. It's not like he wanted to stay that long. I know. It may not I... end well for you. Right. But it's just, you know, as a group, you've got to decide that we're not going to let this happen. <laughs> um. But yeah, so it's just that, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, throw water on the flames here, but it's just, you know, there's some things that wouldn't have worked against most teams there. That could have easily been a comeback against a, you know, a, a higher team in the standing. Also worth noting, no Matt Nieto against Winnipeg. Um, he came back in this game against Edmonton and replaced Marco Dano. Yeah, Dano's pretty done, I think. <laughs> And it was interesting because they put Dreis on Soderberg's wing, and you know I doubt that's a long-term thing. I mean, it'd be nice if if so, you know Dreis or someone like Dreis um, manages to to weasel his way onto that line full time and, and gives Carl sort of a you know someone no. with some puck skills. Dreis is the one who got caught out there and then turned it over for the goal. I know. So I, I think know. that's yeah, done exactly. immediately. <laughs> right, but I'm I, just saying. You know, I, I think that sort of opened that lineup to, you know, being able to play in, in more than just their own zone. Yeah, let's get into the segment of the show that I'm calling Please Free Carl. <laughs> I think they you might go with it. the lines that were in the Edmonton game for the first game this week. Because Bedner likes the consistency after a win, and he said he liked how the lines played. But I agree it. He loves Nieto with Soderbergh so much that I can can't believe that he's going to go away from that 
And that's fine. Yeto was out one game. If you're going to take one guy off that line, you know who my pick would be. Um, You know, if it's if it's Carlin Nieto and then someone with some puck skills that can score and shoot and things like that, um, you know that's 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 fine. It's like you just you can't have Nieto and Calvert on that line. It was very disappointing for the Winnipeg game when Nieto couldn't play, and that would be the perfect time, excuse, whatever you want to call it, to try something different with Soderberg, and they didn't. And that was yeah. really disappointing. They just decided to go with Bork and Calvert. Just like yeah. no, and I, and I think they regretted it big time. You know, the funny thing I is, it. I think I why Bednar wants to keep it is because of how well Kamenev played, and it's funny because everything he did in that game, which was very good for him, was almost solely independent of his line mates. Right. Yeah. So it's you know I think Bednar's kind of tricking himself into thinking that line worked when really Kamenev just had a good game. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's it's unfortunate because the way that things are set up is it's like, how do you get give Kamenev more opportunity or better opportunity other than just giving him some special teams minutes, but like actually five on five? Are you going to put him on the quote-unquote second line with Kerfoot? Or are you going to p- break up that Soderberg safety blanket? It, it's just like neither of those is going to happen. So is he well, just I think destined? they want him at center, and that's I, I think that's valid. <clears throat> I think sure, like I like him. him at center too, but yeah. it's just like, okay, that you've asked him to show you something in limited minutes, and he's done it. So if you're gonna step him up into some more opportunity, where is that gonna come from? Is he pretty much just waiting for an injury? I mean, I think they could do with double shifting him on the wing occasionally, but. I, that's Which that's a pretty you're right. That's a pretty good problem to have, right? If you're going yeah. McKinnon, Jost, or Kerfoot, or whoever is the line on that or the center on that line, and then Soderberg one two three and Kamenev four down the middle, like you can't really complain about that. Yes, our wing depth is still super suspect, but it it's just kind of the situation until the Avs sort out their wings. Yeah, and it you know <clears throat> as much as. You know, it doesn't sound great having Nieto and Bork as your wings. That obviously got him more playing time than playing with like Dano and Bork. <clears throat> um, so, you know, if that gives Bednar the confidence to roll that line regularly, you know, then it is what it is. I mean, it's like <clears throat> if he gets more time, he's going to look better, and and that's going to lead to more opportunities. If you know, if he doesn't trust who's on that line with with Kamenev, he's just not going to play it. You so. know. I, it's still as, pretty limited, though. Even when it's scoring, I don't really think that second line has found its center yet. I really like Kerfoot with Wilson. I, I think Jost and, and Kerfoot work really well together. I still don't think that line has a center. It it really is center by committee, and it's working, so I think it's fine it's for now, at least. Center. Yeah. I did like that Kamenev was shifted on that a couple times in the Edmonton game, so maybe that's a thought. If he could eventually center that line, it's like a a long term ask here. Not anytime soon. That might solve a lot of issues, but we're a ways away from that. The yeah, I don't. Cam Jost line. I don't see it happening, especially Wilson has been one of the Evs' best right. players during this. Yeah, it's like bad Wilson streak. is not the guy I take off that line. Um, I mean, and Kerfoot. 
I mean, you know, Kerfoot's on pace for you know probably fifty points or maybe even a little bit more. Um, right. Like the so the, like, the answer was Jost, Jost, but yeah, it's like Jost is the guy that that it really is the question mark there, and you definitely want him to fit in there. So it's that's going to be a tough pull. Yeah, right. so and especially with waiting for Wilson to break or something. I I don't see Cam moving up. I just don't. It's you know it, if well, anything, it's going to be a struggle for him to stay in the lineup if guys like Andrew Ghetto and Comfort get healthy. Oh yeah. sure, that's been my concern. I think. Uh, especially with their love of dries, they're going to have to figure out what they really want to do with him. And he's done well, but is he done well enough where he's going to play when they have guys like Andrew Ghetto available to them? I, I mean, I think the dries situation played out kind of exactly how I hoped it would on the last one, where Jost came back, and guess what? The Wilson-Kerfoot-Jost line still scored. So it's proof of concept that that line still works even without dries. And then Dries plays with Soderberg and has a pretty rough game, even though the Avs win. So I, I think the leash will be pretty short on Dries at this point. So he's pretty much just going to move down and and then out of the lineup. And if I, I still healthy, think yeah. that they've given up on Dano. I think I know the. the I think they totally have. Thinking. I, I mean, did you hear what Benner said the other day? How they were lucky to have him, and they had. Big plans I, for him, and this was like days ago. I not like actions weeks ago. more than words. Yeah. <laughs> Those words mean nothing when they play him five shifts for like four and a half minutes. <laughs> yeah, and they've it's only like, scratched I mean, him like can it, Kamenev's glance at him on that offside that he took in Winnipeg. <laughs> I mean, that just that was just daggers flying out of his eyes. <laughs> that, that was Russian body language for dude. <laughs> was I, th- I think Kamenev has earned his spot over Dano, but I I think. At this point, but I think any other like they're gonna play Dana before they ever play Greer. Obviously. Oh what, yeah, they what, hate Greer. That's even pretty call clear. Him up for yeah. Hey, come freeze in Alberta for us. Okay, bye. I mean, I believe that they would have played him over. Um, I, I I believe that they would have put him in Nieto's spot if Nieto couldn't have gone last night. But, but yeah, it would have been the same thing didn't. again. And not it Dana. The five minutes. Yeah, yeah, like he said that Dano was going to be the scratch. They didn't know about Nieto, so... If Nieto couldn't go, they would have played Greer, but it still would have been kind of the same thing that it was last week, where it's just kind of like, here's your parting gift. Here's your eight shifts. And yeah, I mean, he didn't fun practice, back in the so AHL. Like, you know, it's, it's tough to see him playing that much when he doesn't practice with the team. I mean, we would have been disappointed if they called up, like, Agazino or Kosmachuk. Like, we're glad that they picked the prospect, but if you're not I mean, playing, does it really matter? I wouldn't matter? have been that disappointed if they never played the guy. Like, right. he's yeah. a fine, warm body. <laughs> if he's very obviously, like, injury insurance and you don't play him, then that's what you have those guys for. Right, and maybe the Eagles would have won a game last weekend then. But I know, I know. would have liked to have seen Greer played for the Eagles. Yeah, he probably would have made a difference. But it—I mean, it is what it is. There, we've we've hashed out the Greer thing a number of times, and we have. It just seems like it's not what the Avs are gonna do. It's just—it's just, it's just the, the the overall same theme of how do these guys have their opportunity? Like they're there, they might play in an extremely limited role, but how do you get them transitioned into a real NHL player if the opportunity is never there? I mean, is is having the Eagles so close kind of hurting that because it's so easy to call guys up on a, a moment's notice? 
I know, know it's like last so. year they would have had to plan for this and and probably kept him up longer and he would have practiced with the team and then maybe that creates a better opportunity i don't know both teams have been on the road quite a bit so i don't i don't think that's really been a factor for them like for example the eagles are playing tomorrow but they only sent greer down so they're not even thinking about sending dries or kamenev down like how no. what they would have said well and those two have been playing so that's one thing but yeah i mean they haven't been told to not... find a house yet but they're not coming back anytime soon but it, it's not like they're trying to get those guys extra games in the ahl whenever possible because it would it would be very easy to do that with both teams at home but they're not looking to do that like the, i don't think the abs like calling up and down guys like that on like a daily or every few day basis anyway I think they like the consistency and the practice and not having to use the facts, you know, all that. I don't know about that. I think that at very least in Cam and Ev's case, there's no reason to send him down ever. Yeah. Uh, Dries, you might have more of a case for sending him back down, but, you know, he's getting, he was playing higher in the lineup than Cam and Ev, so that's kind of a bad look. If they would have the, the cojones to send dano through waivers i think that would be the guy that you would send down and have him kind yeah. of float up and down for you i think dano is definitely behind both dryce and kamenov i mean it's pretty obvious i don't think so i think one-way contract waiver non-waiver exempt versus two-way contracts waiver yeah, we'll exempt. see who plays this week i mean i'm not betting on dano getting in I'm just it depends who's healthy are, are we counting that. on andrew ghetto actually no, no. Well, they don't need. I mean, they would have to take Dryce out or someone else to put Dano in. Like, I think they I, take I think they Bork like the line out to put break. Dano in. What's that? I think they take Bork out to put Dano in. I, I don't, don't think so there's any all. chance of that. Penalties. Come <laughs> they'd on. They'd rather. They rather. They were playing <laughs> Dries over Dano on the PK. Like that's where it was at. So <laughs> yeah. I just found a. I'm, I'm scrolling through the Avs newsfeed looking for when Dano was claimed. And I just came across a headline that says Jost could play on Western Canada trip. But it's from the other Western Canada trip. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's from when they went through Calgary and Vancouver back to back for some reason. And then Jost didn't even travel with the team on that one. No. But he got to play in front of his family last night, and that's nice. It was good to see him back. I think they do need his skill in the lineup. Even if he hasn't quite figured it all out, I think he does make a positive impact. I, honestly, I think the time off really helped him get his head straight because he's looked much better. Yeah, maybe it did come at the right time where he needed a little bit of a reset. And they definitely could have made up some sort of conditioning stint for him too, which I f found a little interesting that they didn't try to pull that card. I mean, he only missed four games, so, I mean, which is, you know, that, that's that's a pretty short concussion, if you ask me, so. But I'm just saying they could have pulled that surprised. card if they wanted to. I mean, I think if it went a little longer, um, you know, like Comfort, I, I don't think they'd do it to Comfort just because he's been on the team long enough now, but maybe they will. <clears throat> this um, is so much longer ago than I realized. The, the Avalanche claimed Marco Dano on October 15th. So wow. three days. It's thirty days the, or ten games, is it whichever comes first? Right? Not in, it's not. No. 
that there's no rule that you have to keep a guy. I mean, you can wave him whenever you want. Yeah, right. you just can't send him down. But they're, yeah, they're you... not gonna wave him before they would do something. But you kind of can send him down because the idea is if you can't send him down, that means someone will claim him. Yeah. Right. It's like if you actually want to keep him, you can't send him down for thirty days. Yeah, you can just as long as the original team doesn't take him back. Right. I mean, if you think that they are, like, if you want to be sure, um, like, if you want to get rid of a guy, I think you would do it before the 30 days, because then the yeah. original team could take him and put him right in the AHL. If you, and if you want, want to keep the guy, <laughs> yeah, and I don't think they would, and they, plus they signed that Logan Shaw or whatever, right. so. Yeah, they signed Logan Shaw, so they obviously don't want Dano back. So if the Avs figure they're keeping him one way or the other. It just really doesn't matter, but yeah, I don't that, think they're giving up that quick. I mean, I, even if this they is don't, front it's, office thing. it's just going to be the same story that we've been so frustrated with. With now, there's a Dano stuck somewhere on in our lineup, whether it be NHL or AHL, for the rest of the year, and he's just going to do nothing. At least it's not like three years. True. <laughs> <laughs> not that I call anybody out like that. Cat Malvert, anyone? Sure isn't. <laughs> sure isn't three years. So obviously, the position of this show is pretty clear on on what the future of Marco Dano with the Colorado Avalanche should be. We, I think, we're all pretty much in agreement that he's in the way and not helping. Well, I I still like him better than all of you, but it for the situation, the prospects, everything. It it's still yeah, it's just. Does it make sense? I tried yeah, to, to, to come around to a positive viewpoint on it when they made the move. Like, okay, maybe this is somebody who's going to, you know, help push Nieto help down the lineup and help push Gork out of the lineup by, by maybe some kind of fortunate luck. But he's just not been on even their level. So, nope. No. Um, but I don't know how much of an impact he's had on this, this next line of numbers I'm going to read out to you guys. This is how many goals the Avalanche have allowed in each game since the game against Ottawa. So they allowed three to Ottawa, three to Minnesota, six to Calgary, seven to Vancouver, four to Nashville, thank you Colton Sissons, you bastard, five to Winnipeg, and then one to Edmonton. Um, so did all this, like, all of a sudden, I, this is something that we've been kind of noticing all year long. Yeah, the Avalanche have some pretty clear warts that have been covered up by 950 save percentage from from Varlamov mostly, um, but what ha did something happen this week? Maybe where the defense was, or I guess this month so far, where the defense was falling apart more than they had been, or was has this just been an off stretch from goaltending? Do you guys think? I I think it is more the defense um, when they mix the pairs up. I I think that didn't lead to the results that they wanted, and I think not having good performances from EJ and Barry, and then. Barry doing a lot better in Edmonton. I think he he was getting better this week, but he definitely peaked in Edmonton. I think that's hurt them quite a bit. That Barry and Cole had not done well for a, for a big stretch, and then um, and then EJ's been kind of off. And it was nice that he scored the goal, but I think his defensive performance hasn't been great. Nemeth, it's easy to pick on him, but even for Nemeth, it he's been rough. And then yeah. I think Zadorov has been good in the, in this stretch, but he's being underused. And then I think um, 
Gerard's been good. So no way. It, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's definitely both, been. right? Like it was kind of a perfect storm. Obviously, in the in the two big goal games, there were multiple muffins from our goalies. Uh, in Nashville game wasn't as bad. There wasn't a really really bad goal, but then against Winnipeg. That second yeah. goal was just a total, total muffin by Varley. That's so, what Eminem was. Multiple muffins. There Multiple you go. Muffins. But I don't think goaltending has lost a game other than Grubauer in Vancouver. Like, I probably wouldn't put goaltending as, like, my biggest issue with the Nashville or the Winnipeg loss. Or even close to the biggest issue. It's, I don't think the... it's the biggest issue, but it's the way the abs are built. Right. They don't win games without good goaltending. It's been that way forever. It's still that way. And yes, we've made strides towards a better defense, but when you really scrutinize it, it's still not that great of a decor. It's not even necessarily just the defense. It's that the Avalanche don't generate shots. That's another well, it- big problem, and that, that spanned years. So I don't I don't know what, what's going to fix that. I really don't. Well, I, I think if you look at the teams that they lost to during the streak, and then we take Vancouver out as just they had poor goaltending. You know, you look at Minnesota, Calgary, Nashville, and Winnipeg, and what's the common thing is they're very aggressive forechecking teams, and I think that's that's probably the the biggest reason for the streak. And you know, that's still somewhat troubling. With going back to what I said about how Edmonton turned up their forecheck and and sort of controlled the you know, at least the, the puck for a lot of the second half of last night's game. Um, you know, and it's we, like it, the word is out that if you forecheck the Avs defense, they're not going to be able to get the puck out of the zone. I just don't that know should how be much... something that teams know. That's, what I'm, I mean, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, I don't know how much of a, of a pre-scouting thing that really is. I mean, if your team forechecks, you're going to kind of discover, oh, this is working. And everyone wants to forecheck you, you. Or that you've done that against the Avs defense for years, so why would you stop? <laughs> Yeah, and it's but like it's just, anytime... it was effective over that streak. I mean, it, <laughs> I, I don't know how you can watch any of those four losses and say like, you know, they're getting killed on the forecheck, and there's no way they can, you know, they, they just can't get the puck out of the zone, and they and can't the... get through the neutral zone. So it's just, you know, I, I think the neutral zone is, is might even be a bigger problem than the forechecking in the defensive zone. But yeah, I'm with I've you seen on that so too. many puck, I, I've seen so many pucks that get cleared and go right back in the zone or you, you get a decent exit but you know you encounter two opponents right away and and there's a turnover yeah. and it's just I, I think they're having a huge problem getting through the neutral zone and there was a lovely moment against winnipeg that showed how much they just stick to their systems and don't try to read and react to the play in the neutral zone <laughs> <laughs> it was on the power play, and I think Landy had the puck, and he turns around to drop it back to McKinnon like they always do, but there was a Winnipeg player back there just sitting there because they knew the Avs were going to do it, so he yeah. just holds on to the puck and actually looks up and uses his eyes and realizes, oh, I can just skate this puck in. Yeah. And it's like, you need to be doing that all the time. You have to be able to adapt your systems. You can't just do it by the book. And the Avs really have not done a good job of that to break out pucks. And I, th- I think, uh, and I've, I've said this a hundred times in the, in the last few weeks uh, in, the, in the GDTs and whatnot, is they rely on retreating 
trading time for space way too much and it just you know it's so hard to gain that space back um that i i think that leads to you know some part of their shot differential and i also feel like when they have a really good possession in the offensive zone they're passing it they're i, I don't know if i'd quite call it a cycle but you know they're, they're passing it around but they're still not shooting and then and then the other problem they have is that just those greasy, those rebound goals, which actually they got two of them in the Edmonton game, and that was another big help, is yeah. that they finally got a rebound goal and kind of a, a dirty one that went for Kerfoot. So, but they don't, they hardly ever go for those type of, of plays, and I, I think that hurts them a lot too. That's where they're also not getting shots because they're not shooting from down low. I agree with that a lot. The Winnipeg game exposed that too. Every time in the offensive zone Winnipeg made a pass, it had a purpose. That puck was going somewhere to someone to get it to the net. The Avs love to make passes that have no point to them at all. It's just to get the puck to someone else with no plan. Yeah, they look pretty sometimes. <laughs> I liked how you a- showed that that like zigzag pass Winnipeg did because it was so effective. Yeah. I think one thing that that's also different from last year is, you know, they they still had the same shot differential issues, uh, but they were, you know, they were fairly good at generating quality, and that's something we haven't seen this year. And you know, I think that's one of the biggest um, sort of changes we've seen is the fact that they've they've not been able to to get those expected goals like they had last year. I mean, that the high danger chances aren't there like they were last year. And I know that's sort of a specious stat, um, it but it's just, you know, when, when it's really small compared to where it was last year, you know, it, it, you know, there's some kind of difference. I just really think a big chunk of it um, is um, kind of lost here because if, if you look at kind of the, the, the league wide rates and stuff, like in the, the chart that came out today, I don't remember who posts these because I don't actually follow. I might just see them every once in a while. But the Avalanche are the lowest rate team in the National Hockey League right now. Does that sound right? It it they, seems weird because they do like to play fast. They, 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 they have don't the look tempo. low in that. Is this shot on goal rates? Yes. This yeah. is shot, no, because no, no, no. They, not, not on goal. Not on goal. This but, is attempt Okay, rates. total. Yeah, a, okay. attempt rates four plus against. So they're limiting so, attempts yeah. against, and their quality against is usually in their favor on the K ratings. But in, they're not generating anything the other direction either. It's just a lot of skating fast, and then now you're going the other way. Yeah, and, no, yeah. I agree. I, I think the, the, the literal pace that they play at, the, the speed, things like that, you would think, and, and because of their transition, the, the chances they get off the rush, you would think it's high event, but it's really not. So it is funny that a team that plays that way just via optics is such a low event team would be surprising but the just thing like is, the things that we've been talking about they're they're decent at suppressing the other team but they just yeah they don't take shots for themselves it it oftentimes gets ugly in the neutral zone there against better teams i think it's a little bit of that yeah. also, also what they'll do is they'll break in and they'll try to make one really slick pass and that'll get broken up and then now your position yeah. is over and they'll you know grind it out get the puck back try it again and now you'll come in and you'll shoot a foot and a half wide and it rims all the way out and now you're back in the neutral zone again and then now the other team has the puck and it's just 
they they can't seem to string together very many extended shifts in the offensive zone. And like I said, when they do, it's because they're passing to each other. And that's why sometimes they say if they if the point ever measured, and I'm sure they do, I just don't know where to look for it, where <laughs> yeah, passes to each other in the <laughs> offensive zone, is, they're probably very high at that. It's because they're the not point. creating com. shot attempts. It's, it's the pointhockey.com, and they don't show you any stats. They don't want to show you. If it hasn't yeah. been on a Twitter Instagram or on a Twitter, uh, like a little infographic, it's not on the website. I look. <laughs> right. I'd love so to they're see probably how they measure those form. things, though. I bet they would too. <laughs> so yeah, it looks fantastic. They could have a nice forty-five second possession. And they made two shot attempts. I mean, maybe it looks fantastic on paper, but when you're watching it, it sure doesn't feel fantastic. It feels like a big ass waste of time. So that's that's definitely what you feel out of that McKinnon power play unit. That's that's kind of like the absolute just exaggeration of all these problems put together. They struggle to get through the neutral zone because they're trying to do one thing, and then when they get in. They're not moving the puck with any purpose toward the goal. They're moving it to move it around. And, you know, now, now there's pressure on me, but there's not on you. Here you go. And then Barry and then, shrugs and fires a shot five feet high. And, that's and, that. and it hits the boards, rims around and out. And you've wasted yep. 90 seconds futilely. And no, you didn't give up any chances because you had the puck, but you didn't do anything with it. And it's just like how they are five on five. They're especially Rantanen and McKinnon, they're trying to snipe the puck. They're trying to shoot it in. And that, and like you said, it just manifests itself even in more obvious ways on the power play when that's what they're trying to do. My solution is, is to bench those guys just because I, I don't think they're going to learn until they sort of see what they're missing by being on the bench, watching other guys score kind of like they did last night. They get on the ice, <clears throat> they mess around for 80 seconds the same kind of problems occur in the neutral zone, um, almost turning it over, and you know nothing productive comes out of it. And then they send the second unit on, and they score 29 seconds later. And the way that they scored, you can tell that's exactly what Ray Bennett wants them to do. It's like they're passing inside the slot. They're getting down, <clears throat> you know, right close to the goal and shooting. Um, you know, the the goal was greasy. Was on a rebound. I mean, those are the kind of chances that the Avs power play is basically built to do. It's not built for a couple of guys to try to pick corners from the outside. So, I just feel like more of a performance based, you know, like a benching or something like that would be if if it was wildly out of character. But I just think this is kind of who those guys are, and they were a bit more successful at it last year, but. I don't. I don't know. I don't know how you're ever going to kind of beat it out of out of the abs because they've been this way for years. I mean, you've got to try, right? I mean, it's like if nothing else works, you've just got to escalate until something gets through. Well, at this I mean, point, I, I, they're doing the same thing day in, day in, day out, every game, and with the same results. But they've been doing it for so long with the same unit with no changes. Are the two units being coached to do two different things? I don't think so at all. Because I see no evidence at this point that the McKinnon power play unit is supposed to be doing anything other than what it's doing. It's it's tough, right? Because the second unit doesn't have someone who can really hit that one-timer, like Rantanen kind of can. And 
it does feel like the first power play unit has focused in so much on that one thing that they sacrifice any other option and then it's just easy to defend. I mean, but as a staff, how could you coach that? How could you have two different power play units playing two different styles? I mean, that just seems insane. Well, for starters, I would move the guy out of the middle. Because no, no, I I'm think just that saying, does but... limit the, the system that they set up. I think that guy in the middle... Causes... But it works great on power play too. Right, but it, it but causes what issues. What I'm saying is like one. I don't see that Ray Bennett is taking like the five guys that are on power play one and saying, Okay, you play this way and just do what you do, you know, have fun with it. And then but in a way, you know, those really are... coaches a system style to power play two who they barely use anyway. But those are the best players on the team with the best shots. So in a way, I mean, you are telling them, get them the puck and and then and they'll create. shoot it. Yeah. But, I mean, they can't be ignoring what the coaches are saying during meetings and stuff, just sort of saying, like, ah, we don't got to do that. I mean, it, you know, it's like they know they're not scoring. I mean, I, I, I don't know if they, the coaches have a problem with it. It's interesting. Um, we saw against Calgary and Minnesota before that, I think. I know this was going a ways back, but when the PP1 was producing goals late in games that didn't matter guess where they scored them right in front of the net so they understand like i think that's what they want them to do yeah but they just struggle to get the puck there other other than when bedner said that he didn't trust them to, to score a power play goal in the minnesota game i don't really think that they've i see i i haven't liked that statement since he said it if you didn't trust him why didn't you put then, out pp2 then change then? Some, yeah. or then change something like, you can tell he gets annoyed when they haven't scored, especially if they can't get in the zone. But it's not to the point where he's so annoyed that... I think he he's been annoyed with it for over a year. I mean, it's like he always, he's always talking about perimeter and, and not getting down into the slot and the greasy areas and things like that. Well, then do you know, something like, about it. It's your team. Right. Well, <laughs> I know. It's like, but, you know, is he going to escalate to the point where he does bench them? He doesn't you know? have to bench them. He doesn't have to split them up. I, I just don't think so. I, I think then the other part of it is you need a goal at the end of the game. You're going to play your best players. You're going to pl put the guys on the ice that are leading the league in scoring. Like, are you, are you going to count on the grinders to get you a goal? Or are you going to count on the talent to get you a goal? And I think in the I mean, I can give moment, you lots of evidence that it's much more <laughs> likely that Power Play 2 will score on a Power Play than Power Play 1. I mean, it's... Right. They, they score, at, uh, you know, more than twice the rate that Power Play 1 does in less than half the time. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't agree with you. I just think it, it's hard for a for him to get to that point. And I, I do think keeping Gerard on power play one is kind of a meet in the middle compromise on that. But then power play two is completely useless. <laughs> but I mean, if you're getting better results with your better players for 90 seconds, I mean, I'm just not of... seeing it. I mean, it's like you still like still, I mean, I, you know, it was better <sighs> with Gerard. The, their numbers are better. Like just looking at McKinnon. Better shot enough rates, for me. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I'm saying it's a meet in the middle kind of thing. If Gerard makes that power play unit somewhat better, then you're at least enhancing your better players. As I, nice I mean, it if, is if, to if, think if it about, actually produces results, then I'm fine with it. I mean, it's nice I just, it I is to think about 
just making power play to the first unit. It's just not going to happen. You're just it, no. not going to keep those guys off the ice. And it is it. a tough line to draw, right? Like, if you compare it to, say, like, basketball, a very good player, if he's having a bad game, the saying goes that you just let themselves shoot themselves out of the funk, and they're going to miss right. a bunch, and they eventually get there, but... If they keep missing, and they keep missing, and they keep missing, eventually you have to draw the line and say, okay, <laughs> take a seat, kid. Please pass. And, and the caveat I have to give about Power Play 2 success is they're obviously going to be going against PK2 on the other side. So, I mean, it's not quite as easy for Power Play 1 to score because they're going to be going against the top penalty killers. And so they have started Power Play power 2 play a couple one. times. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's why, I, th I mean, I think it would be interesting to flip-flop it, not necessarily, I mean, you could start off by giving Power Play 2 30, 40 seconds and then put Power Play 1 on or something like that. I mean, I, I think, you know, that would be an easy way to sort of switch things up without being, you know, detrimentally um, punish <clears throat> punishing to the, to the guys that aren't doing their jobs. Yeah, but if you give the second power play unit that much time, they might score, and then you wouldn't even see the first unit. So let's. Uh, <laughs> and that would be great. Let, let, let's move on to the the topic that you wanted to get to today, Earl. Before we dive into our stars and scratches. Um, and okay. I, and I'm not sure how to introduce it, so I will allow you to do that if you want to go ahead and do the honors. It has to do with uh, the losing streak and ice time and who has it, and it's not what you right. think. Right. <laughs> um. You know, a lot of us saw during the the losing streak that the McKinnon line was grossly overplayed, in my opinion. Um, at five v five, they're well over eighteen minutes um, a night, and sometimes as as much as twenty or above. Like like McKinnon actually led the team like more than the defensemen even in ice time five v five a couple times during the streak. And there was always about a, a four or five minute gap between them and, and say, you know, the Soderberg line or the, the Kerfoot line, whoever was the, the second line that night. And I'm going to put it out there. Do you think that that was a cause or an effect of the losing streak? Um, I think you know, an effect. Yeah, I think an effect, but not in the way you think. I think it's... It, in a low-key way, I think it might be a good thing, because when you're struggling in games, yes, you want to play that line more. Unfortunately, Bednar sits in a situation where he's finally starting to trust that veteran line a little bit less, but he still doesn't trust his other quote-unquote second line enough to put him out in clutch situations. So instead, he just dumps all that extra time on the top line, and you're right. left with that big five, six-minute gap because he doesn't yeah. have a second line that he's comfortable playing. I think he prefers rolling the lines. He mentioned that he was happy to do so in the Edmonton game. So I Oh, yeah, he loves I rolling he... lines when he's up by two or three yeah, or four. Yeah, I, I but... think he understands. I don't think he prefers just overusing the gold chain, as I like to call it. Um, <sighs> you knew it was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but, Not a thing. 
definitely it is. Just you wait. It'll just be like the Miko song. The gold chain. You heard it the week. Respond to to um to us either on on Twitter or on the Discord with uh the the best name you can think of for the Nathan McKinnon line because until we have a good one with how hard we're trying to force this name, I'm calling it the fetch line. That works too. But anyway, sorry to derail us. I just had to drop it in there once. Um, I think he, I think Bender knows it's not conducive to winning, to playing them that much. It's just, it's just right, when, when you're desperate and you need a goal, you, you're just going to use them. And I, and I think their effect, just like EJ, you overplay EJ, his effectiveness goes down. I, I think. Even the, yeah, the I mean, top I think that's one thing we saw over the down. over the the course of those four five games is that their effectiveness was really wearing down, you know, especially late in games, you know. And I'm not I'm not going to give Mac the built-in excuse that he was tired that that he turned that puck over or anything like that. But it just you know I I think I mean last night obviously we saw that that the time was back to normal back to like when they were winning earlier in the season that you know the max line was about fifteen and some change. And there was only a slight gap down to about 13 minutes for the next guys. And, you know. And when you force them, you almost make it like the top line and then three fourth lines. And it's right. just, that's just not good for anybody. There was I know. A, there was and a it's game, like... what, which game was it? It might have been the Vancouver game, I think, actually. The, the game that I couldn't watch live because I was off having to be social. And uh, I, the first thing I did was I watched the end of the game. It was definitely Vancouver. I watched the end of the game and, and got mad at everybody else. And then I looked at the ice <laughs> time and I said, what the hell were the lines? Yeah. Because it was McKinnon, Landis, Grantin, and then whichever defenders were left. And then like seven forwards all at about 10, 11 minutes. What? Yeah. yeah it wasn't Matt <laughs> exactly. Calvert the fourth most forward ice time in that game or something. I think so. He, but he's usually fourth or fifth. But it wasn't like we're, we're not running back two weeks for funsies. I mean, that's been kind right. of the yeah. thing that they've been doing for a little while. Yeah. And it's just that, you know, yeah. it, it, it's that transitional period. I really think it is because before what we would see is the veteran line be that second line and eat up a ton of minutes. And we'd be going, oh, well, this isn't we don't want this. Just turns out we didn't want all of that time to go straight to the top line either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, playing your best players get... isn't the worst. The worst thing in the world. It's just. It's I, just do, I, I think it is actually. I, I just I I think that when you're playing those guys three or four minutes too much at five v five, it really makes them less effective. I, I think you're actually hurting your chances of scoring when you do that. Um, I, and I know some of that comes from having the fourth line. You know, it's like they didn't want to play Greer. They don't want to play Dano. They don't want to play Kamenev half the time. So, I mean, that does make it tough. And it's, you know, maybe that's a trust issue that, that you know, that the staff really have to get over is that you're, you've just got to roll that no matter how much it, it just kills you to do is you've got to get those guys up to about seven or eight minutes and make sure that, you know, the, the middle six you know, gets in the sort of 11 to 13 range and, you know, just pick your spots better with the top line rather than try to play them every shift. I mean, if they're, they could overplay other guys too, like 
like overplaying McKinnon is certainly not as bad as all of a sudden Bork plays twenty minutes a game. Like, yeah, I'm there are coaches that it, yeah. if you're talking about lineup usage could could go there. And so well, I mean, Matt Calvert is... does end up fourth in <laughs> ice time an awful lot. Yeah, it could it could be worse. Is what I'm trying to say. We. I think, is it a cause or an effect is the wrong question. Um, because I see this as kind of a feedback loop where the, the abs are struggling in, in a game. And they can't, they're not really able to get the offense to work or or whatever. And so obviously Bednar's saying, All right, we're behind. We need to play our scoring players. And then you end up playing the crap out of them because you only have so many scoring players on this roster. And you, you wear them down a little bit. They lose a little bit of their explosiveness. They lose a little bit of that sharpness because they're just, you know, worn out a little bit. And then they start making the same mistakes. And so you've you've gone, all right, well, this is what I have to do. And it forces them to not actually be capable of what you wanted them to be capable of. And I feel like I just said a lot of really vague words. Did that make any sense at all? <laughs> Yeah. No, I, and that's and that's sort of why I wanted to ask the question is because I'm very unclear on it too. And and you made it sound like it was both a cause and an effect, and that's kind of what I'm seeing. Yeah, that, that's it's, what it's I was t- trying to say. So it's, it's a feedback loop. Right, and yeah, it's, it's tough to differentiate whether playing them too much is the cause of why they're losing, or whether they're losing so much because they're playing them too much. I mean, it, it's. I think not having a lead is what starts it well half the time you're not going to have the lead (laughs) i I will say on the defensive side they haven't been as bad with the overuse no they haven't at all that's that's very true Um, they're capable of learning something yeah it's like you know we are not seeing the things that we saw towards the end of last year where one guy plays five minutes and the other five are, are way overplayed, and or the other, you know, four others are, are overplayed somewhat, and then EJ plays way too much, or something like that, uh, or Barry, as it turned out a lot in the, the very end of the season. So the defensive usage has actually been, you know, that that's been a nice change that they feel comfortable playing those guys, um, you know, just basically rolling the pairs. Apart from um, the fact that I think everybody kind of hates the Sam and Barry pair. Yeah. I I don't hate it as I I can see that they. I, I loved the two v one last night though. That was awesome. <laughs> that that was something. <laughs> and here comes the Avalanche two on one, and it's their defenders. All right. <laughs> it's Gerard and Tyson Berry on a. <laughs> Let's do it. Wow. Why not? And Bedner didn't sound that worried about it either. He was like, "Oh, just the wingers were back." I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, it was it, on the replay. They showed the up high angle, and it was pretty funny because they was like didn't even have possession yet, and you see Barry just book it out of the zone. <laughs> 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 um, really, my only complaint with the defense is just that Zadorov, I I think, is still getting the short end of the stick. I'd like to see him play a bit yeah, more, and, I mean, and it, it was nice to see him eat the Nemeth yeah, grenade. So <laughs> pretty much, and if it, it wasn't nice the Nemeth, him... if it wasn't Nemeth, it'd be Barbario. And just wait a couple of months, and then we'll be making some cakes. That's right. I, I like seeing Zadorov with Barry get a little bit more minutes, but it, yeah, it's it's basically somebody has to do it. Somebody's gonna. 
like you said, eat the Nemeth grenade and take one for the team. And it just, it can't be EJ. EJ with Nemeth was such a terrible idea. And And I think it really pissed EJ off. He was very unhappy, it seemed. Yeah. So that probably is the lesser of all the evils. It's just, uh, that is probably the one part that I'm most disappointed about with the defense. And yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, if it's part of the slow learning pos- process of, of Zadorov becoming a better puck handler, then, you know, fine. You know, that's a skill that, that it's not going to hurt him to be better at. So, um, you know. And he has been good over out this past week, yeah. so so maybe, maybe it is working out better for him. He likes to lead the rush from time to time, so there is that. But just to, to kind of put a bow on the, uh, on the top line usage conversation... Um, gold chain <laughs> it, uh, that, but that is what it comes down to is the, the avalanche get in trouble and Bednar yanks the gold chain and floods the place <laughs> <laughs> stars exactly. scratches which one do you want to do first because this week is going to have some of both but I'll go stars first okay go because my star of the week is Gregor Jens. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> that 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 man is Swedish. That is pronounced Jens. You'll put respect on his name. <laughs> <laughs> the Miko song is now an international sensation. And we are proud <laughs> to be associated. We are merely basking in the glow. But I'll I'll throw out a star. I'll say Soderberg. I think yeah. De- he he was just in beast mode on in in the Edmonton game. I, uh, there's been a few games and he might be a little banged up. There, there's been a few games where it looked like he wasn't skating that well, but he he's he's really been rock solid this year, and I'm glad to see he had a really good game in Edmonton. And I, I think he he was good all week. He's He's been very, very steady. I think it's crazy that they interviewed him in front of, before the game because you know that never happens. Then he goes out and has a big one. <laughs> uh, you know, it's good to see. I mean, you know, it, when when Carl is, is able to drag around the guys that he has to drag around <laughs> night after night um, and, and have a good game, you know, it, it can only be a very positive thing. He's just not put in a position to succeed. He doesn't get a single offensive zone start. It's always either d- heavy in the neutral and defensive zone or just ship, you know mixed in on the fly. He doesn't get to play on the power play very much at all. He gets heavy shorthanded usage. And then against Edmonton last night, when just when the broadcast team is starting to be starting to talk up this game that he's having, he just goes off on a PK shift. They're like, oh, I hear y'all. Let's just take over the game here too. Why not? <laughs> That was a wild goal he scored, too. I don't know if I've ever seen Soderberg rip a clapper. <laughs> <laughs> he deserves it, though. Um, I'll give Barry a star just because I've ragged on him a lot this season uh, leading into this week. And even though it wasn't a great week for the team, um, he still manages to produce. Yeah. And... I mean, the the goal that he scored last night was 
you know, that was really cool. I mean, a great pass from Mac to Miko, an awesome pass from Miko to, to Barry, who is right where you would expect the wing to be. And, um, you know, he, he's also uh, second in the league in plus minus, and then that, that counts for a lot in my book. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll second that for sure, you know. Yeah, we, he's had a good We've seen week, Barry yeah. and how bad he's looked at times this year, but he's got 13 points, I mean. Yeah, exactly. It's like, where did he come up with all these points? Yeah, he's, I don't know. Uh, he, he gets... <laughs> and, and while the team has been on the struggle bus this last couple of weeks, you've, you've seen the lights kind of turning on for Barry, finally. Yeah. Def- definitely the Edmonton game was, was Barry at his best. He just... There's certain games where he's just really feeling it, and, and yeah. that is that is peak Barry. Plus, he also had the really nice pass to Kerfoot in the. I think that was in the not the Winnipeg game. Mm. Yeah, this the stretch yeah, pass to Kerfoot. Yeah, Kerfoot yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'll agree. I've been tough on Barry too, but that that's exactly what you want to see from him. One Nylander, please. So that's. <laughs> It's good for him to do that in Edmonton, you know. So some Canadian some media. organization might, uh, yeah, want to do a little shopping. That that kind of performance definitely makes you say this this guy has value, and if you want him, but, again, he's second in the league something. in plus minus, so that's going to raise a few eyebrows <laughs> for sure. Well, hey, better him than Nemeth, right? <laughs> so stars for Tyson Berry, stars for Carl Soderberg, star, stars for Gregory Jens, or, or maybe it's Jens. I don't want to overassume. Um, I uh, I also want to throw one for Miko. I think I think he's done yeah. a lot of heavy lifting for that line. I, I think when McKinnon hasn't showed up, he's still he still played really hard, made plays, and then he's he's still leading the league in scoring. So. Oh, he gets an honorable mention he... of the week just for that assist on the Barry goal. It's just like, oh my yeah. god. Yeah. So, uh, Rudo, who do you want to scratch this week? I mean, should I take the easy one or? You should. You should do what feels right. <laughs> I mean, McKinnon feels right. It yeah. does. But I mean, yes, he was better in the Edmonton game, but even in the Edmonton game, you could see once it got down to garbage time, he was trying too hard to put one in the back of the net for himself. And, you know, I don't know if you want to call it selfishness or if he's just gripping the stick a little bit too hard, but there's just something different with him right now than what we're used to seeing. And when things aren't clicking, he doesn't seem to have the right attitude about it. And I feel like he's, been doing that all year and I forget it was some pregame interview where he actually <clears throat> was answering the questions pretty honestly or introspectively and he said that I think they asked him about how he felt about being in the running for the MVP and things like that and he said something like I never really thought I would be in that category or however he said it and then he's like and then you you wonder if you can do it again and I think I think if you get down to it that's kind of weighing on him like I don't think he's a selfish guy he's doing it just for the points he wants to be you know get the league accolades but I think he is wondering can I be that 90 100 point guy again because it seems like he is impatient and frustrated like he just wants to have like 
90 points right now. And I, I think he's not just kind of settling into the process. He just kind of I, wants I think it he all feels right a lot now. of pressure to be the guy now. It's like, you know, being being a good player on a bad team is a lot easier than having expectations to, you know, not only uh, have your individual performance be measured against the best in the league, but you're, you're also expected to drag your, your team into the playoffs and, and but he should be looking at just Nico. I mean, round. having a guy like that in your line that that was already good, taking another step should be a relief. Should that he's he doesn't have to carry the line, and then Landeskog with eleven goals already. I mean that that's pretty pretty good for him. Yeah, it's time and back. And I mean, we say this, but at the same time, you know, he had two assists in the last game against Edmonton. He had an assist that got taken away uh, on the Cole goal that didn't count. So, yeah, that other game against Winnipeg was really bad. One of his worst games maybe ever in his NHL career. Yeah. But he's still really, really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The, yeah, the we, talent we can do a lot. Yeah. So we, we got to keep this rolling with uh, more more scratching. Um, I'll just throw Calvert out there just because. Well, he scored a goal. <laughs> yeah. Can thank Sam for that goal. <laughs> Pretty much. That was a nice tip, but. <laughs> that was almost too high. <laughs> He's just. Well, yeah, he took that penalty, the early penalty yeah. last game. Right after he did it. Your yeah, first really, lead in days and 26 really seconds in, you get a goal, and five seconds later, you take a penalty <laughs> 200 feet away from your own net. It, it, I think a lot of his issues are that he's also being overused. If he was uh, used yeah. as, as, <laughs> as a fourth liner like he should, then the holes wouldn't be as exposed so easy. It's just... He's not strong on the puck, and, and the yeah. effort and and the breakaway speed that's never going to turn into a goal, those things are nice, but yeah, you just can't use him. You can't use him in a defensively responsible role with Soderberg either. It's just, it's unfortunate that they think he's a different player than he actually is. I know, it's, it's, just, it's crazy to think that Jared Bednar is putting his coaching career on the line full faith behind Matt Calvert being a star. I mean, it's, that's a tough, and, it, and it's like the organization also handed him, <laughs> you know, I don't yeah. what quite the word for star it. second liner, <laughs> but you signed this guy to what a nearly $10 million contract for three years. Like you can't just scratch him or, I mean, you could. Yeah. You totally yeah. could. Can he really, though? I mean, can he really? It's like you've been handed the keys to, like, a 12-year-old Honda Civic. And you said, all right, I'm going to drive the shit out of this thing, then. If that's what I get, that's what I'm going to get. <laughs> you, you got the keys to Hill House. <clears throat> Much as I don't like him, he and Comfort were fantastic together early in the year. So Sure, and they were on the fourth line. Yeah. That's where they were. It's like. That Ooh, a very, yeah. Do very that. clear I, roll. Go forecheck your asses off, and it worked. I I think we know which one of those was carrying that, but I mean, yep, <laughs> it worked. Yeah, so he was I, a good support player. So yeah, I would also like to scratch off side reviews. We yep. 
<laughs> I have made the argument before that they should be abolished. I will probably have to make it again. Um, so, until then, just remember that they suck. Boo hiss. And if we have to throw one more player, I think Nemeth, which it is low-hanging fruit to pick on the worst defenseman, but... Yeah. Well, we opened for with Nathan McKinnon, so you can pick low-hanging been... from there. <laughs> it's, it, it's been grim even for Nemeth this past week. It, yeah. it has. You know it's in trouble when the casual fans start to turn on you. <laughs> That's when... Look, the tough thing was last night, you know, it's like the, the Avs started out pretty even for the first 30 minutes, but even through that, he was, you know, of course, a disaster. Um, and that's that's sort of, you know, an easy gauge of how someone's keeping up with his peers. He wasn't. Wasn't doing so. Um, I, do have a, I do have a solution to a lot of the Avs problems before we get to next week. Um, it, it starts with Matt Calvert. It can add Patrick Nemeth if you want to. It can... Add some random do fourth or fifth round pick. I don't care. Whatever it takes to get it done. We're going to package our junk and we're going to send it to Nashville for Nashville's junk. I'm talking, of course, about Colton Sissons. <laughs> <laughs> the Avalanche should trade whatever spare parts it takes to get Colton Sissons. Not to play him. You don't have to play him. Stick him in the press box so he can't score a hat trick on you anymore. Hey, Edmonton defensive though. D, right? I mean, that's pool party material right there. Because after <laughs> that game, Colton Sissons had 27 career goals in the regular season, and eight of them were against the Colorado Avalanche. He's like the new Franzen. He is the new Johan Franzen, except somehow and worse wasn't that in like and yet deadlier. 10 games? <laughs> wasn't that eight goals in 10 games, Something too? like that. It's not a lot yeah. of games. And then he was... Right. He, he had, like, six points in the playoffs, too. And then did nothing yeah. after that. Yeah, nope. seven points in 13 playoff games, and six of the points came against the Avs. <laughs> <laughs> so, trade for him, feed him all the nachos he wants, harvest his power, and use it for good. Coming up next week is an almost identical schedule to this week, starting on Wednesday with another 8 o'clock Mountain Home start against the Boston Bruins. This one is not on NBC Sports, but their contract is why this one is late, so thank you for that. Then on Friday, the Washington Capitals come to town. That's a 7 o'clock start. And finally on Sunday, Colorado start a quick trip through the dregs of the Pacific Division with Randy Carlisle's Anaheim Ducks at 6 o'clock Mountain. They'll finish that stretch up next week against L.A. and Arizona before heading home for a sludge game with the Stars. All games next week are on the normal plain old altitude. We've got Boston, strong team. Washington, not bad. Defending champs. And you got the Randys. What do you say? I'm looking four for points. four points. Yeah. yeah. Let's get back on the horse here. They got to win think, one of the two at home. Yeah, I, I mean, you'd say Boston looks like a toughie on paper, and it probably will be, but they, for some reason they always play Boston Yeah, we well, play so. Boston so well. <laughs> yeah. They usually um, play Washington pretty decent at home, too, I think. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Washington, we have the goalie factor. Yep. Um, I, I'm taking five who, points again. I'll be the positive one. <laughs> who gets the start against his old team? <laughs> uh, right now, it'd be hard not to start Varley <laughs> for all three of these, to be honest. Yeah, but. Right. 
So Boston, um, that if the Avalanche get goaltending, I like them in that game, just for the reasons that you've already said. I also hate that that game is going to be on so goddamn late because it should be really exciting to watch the McKinnon line go head to head against the Bergeron line. Um, but Boston doesn't. Boston doesn't have a goalie. Let's remember. But that that game could easily be a eight seven finish and only have six players get on the score sheet. Yeah. Washington, I, I, the Avalanche don't play Washington well. They, they with despite your ex-player goalie factor, I just think that's a, a rough one. That's not a matchup that favors them very well. And that's Anaheim, my OT loss. Yeah, and and a time is and a time Anaheim is stinky, so it's gonna be four points for me too. I love that game. Whoever linked that in the Discord, the is it a first quarter score in the NBA or an Anaheim Ducks shot totals? <laughs> I feel like we laugh now, but that one's gonna be the tough one. Even though I mean, they the, they should the, yeah, beat Anaheim. The, the Ducks games are always sort of an, an animosity fest. Um, yeah, sometimes Gibson just does silly things in that. Right. I think they'll be I mean, okay against Washington, at least at home. They seem to have played well. They did against Gruby last year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I think they have a decent chance in all the games, but I'll say yeah. they split at home, and Anaheim's probably the one that'll go into overtime. Just because. Oh, God. They'll have Comtois back, and he'll score against us. Make the... Do it in both leagues, the AHL and the NHL. I'm not ready for that. Nathan's gonna just <laughs> hold it over all of us if we if that happens. Yeah, you know it though. You know it. Well, he may not lord it over us on this show until the next uh, next draft live pod, but you could probably catch him lording that over us on the Burgundy Rainbow Discord where we talk about every show. Yeah. I mean, hopefully we'll have him on the next 2A. We're planning on updating the uh, Burgundy Rainbow prospect rankings, which I know a lot of people liked last time. So keep an eye out for that before Thanksgiving. Yeah, we're going to do an in-season kind of update. Do it a little bit different. But yeah, we. I think it's time for one. So next week with the Sunday night game, you can again expect us to come at you, regrettably, on a Monday night recording to come out sometime Monday evening pretty late or Tuesday morning if you don't stay up very late but whichever day it'll come out on you know that you can always find us on soundcloud.com slash burgundy radio or on mixcloud.com slash burgundy radio or on burgundyrainbow.com or on iTunes your favorite RSS feed catcher whatever little podcast app on your tiny little phones you use um, you can join us like I said in the discord to talk about abs hockey all day every day or other things like it seems to be dying down, but the Cowboy game is still a very popular topic. Or if the third period really sucks, we'll just talk about Disney movies for the whole time. Who knows? <laughs> but which, whichever it is, keep your head up into the dirty areas, and we will see you all next week. It is Joe go to Bakersfield first. Yeah, it's Baco and San Jose this weekend. What's the third? What day is the third game of that? Is it Tuesday? I know it's I like it's Saturday, Wednesday. Sunday. Is it Wednesday? Yeah. Well, that's different. <laughs> I can have two days off out there. Yeah. And what are the abs going to do? Is, 
Did you see they play in Anaheim? Then three days later, they play in LA. I assume they're just going to stay. Probably. Enjoy. <laughs> the enjoy the smoke. Are the, uh, well, the, the Eagles should be there too because they'll be staying there that week. Maybe they'll just get one big practice facility and everybody will be there. That would be nice if they did that. <laughs> Joint practice. I think those I've are even allowed legal. To yeah, yeah, I don't think they are. That's a tiny one. That's true. No, I mean they don't practice feet. together. I'm just saying that you know, yeah. for economy of scale, they can rent a rink for the week or whatever. You know, we're totally not practicing together. Wink, wink. Yep. It's like we have <laughs> but, two different sheets. But it is closed to the public because we're afraid of the highly competitive LA Kings Ooh. recording our practices. <laughs> <clears throat> and it's not like yeah, the Avalanche media are sending anybody to report on the practice, so 